Dee 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 dee. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>Do we get to hear the music too, or is it just for them? Oh, I didn't. Uh, well, well, apparently it's just for them because I didn't wire right, but they got okay. it. They <laughs> got it. Are we ready? We are ready. Are we on? We are on. Are we on? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Black Hills Information <laughs> Security, talking about news. I am joined by Ralph and Rob and Ryan. I so you're the, only, non- I'm, I'm the <laughs> only non R. The only non R. So if you would like to work for Black Hills Information Security and your name begins with an R, that moves your resume <laughs> right up the top of that stack. Right up there, top shelf. Rob or Rambo or Raleigh, we're looking for you. <laughs> um, so everybody, we only got two stories for today, but I think that they're kind of important stories. The first story, uh, Brian, did you get the uh, stories? Since I, I did not get a loop like from you. Did you email them to me? Did, did yeah, you get that? Did. did you get the email? Look, did you get that? Did you get the email? Did you get that? Did you get that? But I can step over here All and right, I can bring the email. them up. So the first story is FireEye and Microsoft execs and senators dissect mandatory breach disclosure in the wake of the Solar Winds attack. And the the big the big push on the article is you know how exactly can we move towards kind of a breach disclosure requirement for companies. And what the hell does that even look like? So in the article, they talked about SolarWinds, the new CEO. But one of the things I loved about the article is they said the CEO of uh, SolarWinds, and they should say the new CEO of SolarWinds (laughs) was there. And it was kind of cool because if you read between the lines of what he actually said, it was something like we are embracing our responsibility to being an active participant and helping prevent these types of attacks in the future, which is corporate buzz speak for we're happy being a cautionary tale for an entire industry. So the whole point is, how the hell do we get to the point with this type of disclosure? Should, should, should disclosure be mandatory? And even if it is mandatory, what the hell does that look like? Like, who are you going to disclose to? Because it can't be the FBI in all these situations. So I guess I wanted to get everyone's opinions on what do you all think about the idea of this this concept of mandatory disclosure when you're compromised? Kind of starts to look like GDPR a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we already have a few industries that have mandatory disclosure requirements. Like, I think... I think it's HIPAA and PCI. I know. I know that there's also one a regulation around United States universities with disclosures. I don't remember the exact requirement, but like there's there's already these things there, but there's very little incentive for companies to do it. So I think we have to start with how do we get them to do it versus like the best way to do it. Because if, well, if even if we have the best way to do it, like there's no reason for them to. Yeah, I agree. There's basically nothing but pain, right, on the other side of that. And I think it's very difficult to try to get an organization to say, "Hey, you know what? Going through that door is going to suck. They're going to beat you with sticks for literally hours. You're not going to get a lot of people being like, "Yeah, I want to go through that door, the responsible disclosure door." The other thing that is that I think is kind of missing, and I got another point that that's weird in this entire conversation, but. The other point that's interesting to me on this is how many organizations out there from a percentage perspective do you think are instrumented to even know that they've been compromised in the first place? 
More than some, less than most. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think it's only about 20% of the companies that are out there today are actually instrumented to actually detect a breach. And I'm kind of basing that off of a lot of our pen tests. So sure. if we look at the pen tests that we do at BHIS, one, we're getting the, there's the, there's kind of a selection bias in BHIS. And a lot of the people come to our webcasts have gone through training with us. They know who we are and we get these people that are already very much in the know. And of that, it's a smaller percentage of our total customers that are actually instrumented to detect a lot of the different techniques that we actually utilize, right? So you're looking at a smaller percentage and a smaller percentage as you work down. So I don't think the answer is we just need companies to do disclosure of breaches. I honestly don't think that they can detect if they're breached in the first place. So Ralph, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're a little bit less pessimistic than I am. Yeah, no, actually, I agree with you. I think a lot of people can't detect. I mean, like, what is it, the OPM hack? They were like testing out a new security tool at the time and they were like, oh, whoa, what is this? Is something. <laughs> and that was like the whole thing, right? And so yeah. they're like testing. I mean, and that is the government and should have a huge budget, right? And I think that's really what you're talking about too, right? It's not just the resources. It's also the budget. But that's a, that's a good point. There's a number of breaches that have happened like that, right? Where you have the OPM attack, and I can't remember what product they were actually testing. But RSA... They detected their compromise because they were testing out and running NetWitness. And they ended up buying the company, like whenever they got compromised and all their tokens <laughs> were owned by the Chinese. And then you go to the, uh, the, the water plant breach um, down in Tampa, and they detected that one because the guy's team viewer mouse started moving around. And that, that should be a terrifying point for all of us where we're sitting around and we're like, wait a minute. So literally, it's completely blind luck that some of these companies detected some of these very terrifying breaches. That's not a good sign for the rest of the industry. Yeah, I have a scary feeling that if you made all these mandatory disclosures, they might not even go up. Like you might not even get any more disclosures because no one knows, right? It's like the same amount of disclosures. Just eventually we found out, right? So yeah, yeah. So so that's so I think that that's weird that we're talking about disclosure because I think that we're skipping some steps to get the disclosure. Right. And I also, you know, I, I, this gets into somewhat political territory, but is this even anything that the government can actually help through legislation for securing organizations? Because it seems like almost every time we have an audit and compliance standard, it becomes this race to the minimum. Right. And oh, people yeah. like that man will argue and it's a valid point. He will argue that if you look at PCI, it has increased and improved security in that industry, handling and credit cards. My question is, how much? Like, how much money do we put in, like, trying to do that certification compliance? And then how much security do we get out of it? And would we be served better if all of a sudden the government stepped in and said, hey, everybody, we're all going to adhere to NIST 853? Would that, would that actually help anything at all? I don't know. I have mixed emotions, right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of companies that are just going to let security go because it's a cost, you know, it's it's an insurance they decided not to pay into, right? Yeah. Like, we'll just see what happens. We're going to, you know, just save a bunch of money and put that into our profit margin and so on and so forth, right? Like money, money, money. And I feel like there's other organizations that are spending more money than they probably should or that, you know, the bare minimum, they're doing more than that. They They care about their organization, all this other stuff. So, I mean, you know, and should the government come in and be like, you know, the 
you know, the dick not dictator, but like the, you know, the person telling everyone, you know, what they should be doing with their organization. And that's really the question. And, you know, but the, the idea should be is that there should be like some kind of baseline, right? Even if that baseline is not that great. I mean, at least we could bring everyone hopefully up to that level. Right. And especially with larger organizations, right. Where you have a lot more consumers think- at risk. I think we need like a, I think we need a certification and accreditation platform that's incredibly vague. It's like <laughs> securing your environment. Step one: use good passwords. You mean NIST <laughs> and SIS? Yeah. yeah. Step two: patch your stuff. Like it's just like incredibly like like it tells you what to do, but it's like, well, what's a good password? That's up to you. You've got to go find that answer on your own. I too <laughs> have to find and find the answer on the top of mountains, and you get to do that now, Padawan. Well, um, just like really vague. Have, yeah, I was just gonna say quickly when they do make a rule, they're like, "Hey, eight character password, that's good enough." And then you're like, uh, "It's kind of gotten a little. You need better." When we make that recommendation, they're like, "No, no, no. It says eight right here, though." So I'm following the guy for good, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like when you put it hard, when you put like the hard number, everyone falls back to it, like. That's all oh, I have to do. Oh, dude. Like, I, I rant about this all the time. If you look at the NIST Green Book that came out in 1985, it said use an eight-character password because they were worried about the Russians breaking into computer systems over a 300-baud modem. And that was our fear. And, and a lot of the compliance standards, they started with the Green Book in 85, and then they continued with that eight-character password ever since then. And when we talked to organizations in a pen test, we're like, so, eight, eight characters. Why are you doing that? And they're like, well, our auditor said that that's what we should do for this compliance document. You're like, damn it. And if you try to get them to change, many times they're like, but the compliance guidance says this. Um, They don't even know where that crap comes from. It just continues to move forward. So here's the other thing that, that I think we need to talk about a little bit is I didn't see the whole testimony, but reading the article in SC Magazine, it looks like there was a lot of conversations about mandatory breach disclosure. Do you think that maybe maybe there are some other things that they could have spent some more time talking about? Like, I don't know, possibly. How in the hell do we start trying to secure critical infrastructure suppliers of software like SolarWinds? Because we look at critical infrastructure, and a lot of times like SCADA, ICS systems, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of seconds, but SolarWinds is critical infrastructure. We've talked about that on the show because they're used literally everywhere. Microsoft is critical infrastructure. And, you know, we get down to FireEye or Silence or any of these big security companies, they are critical infrastructure. And I don't think that we've had a good conversation on what the hell it looks like for us trying to protect organizations for these supply chain attacks. There was some brief conversation about how what happened at SolarWind Oh, solar winds was something that could happen to literally dozens of other companies. And as near as I can tell, everybody there kind of nodded and was like, mm, good point. Now let's move on. That seems not just like a, a tan- like a tangential point. That seems like it's kind of should be center to this entire conversation. So whenever we talk about compliance standards for securing organizations and breach notification, that's one thing. But how the hell do you enforce code integrity and security standards on all of these different companies, from Oracle to Microsoft to Red Hat to Solar Winds to Silence to FireEye, because I think that that's a much larger issue that we're just not talking about as much as we should be. Where do, where do you draw the line on critical infrastructure? Because good point. Because because with with that comes funding. If you are 
identified as critical infrastructure, the government takes taxpayer money and starts funding you to do better security. If you say every company that touches government networks is critical infrastructure because they're third parties, uh, we're going to go broke really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, technically, we're already broke, but yeah, that's irrelevant in a whole nother. That's a whole (laughs) nother conversation. But whenever you're looking at some of the standards that are out there, like somebody was just put in, Tricep talked about CMMC, which is cybersecurity maturity model certification. And that's specifically dealing with like DOD systems and the number of companies that actually fall under the umbrella of CMMC is literally, I, I think it's thousands of systems. So if you do anything like software development or you create widgets for the government, you have to have an actual cybersecurity maturity program. So literally DOD is trying to do something like this, but you know, you talk about bankrupt. I mean, all of these companies are going to have to charge more for their services and their products. And that's ultimately going to come back to us. And I'm sure it's not going to be cheap whenever it actually comes back to the taxpayers. So kind of, you know, trying to close this one out with the final question, is it better to do audit and compliance or is it better to actually have a punitive framework kind of like GDPR is where you have to notify whenever you're breached and there will be penalties levied against you when you are breached. So basically, is this something like a carrot or is this something where a stick is more effective? And I know we have people that are listening from, uh, from other countries, especially in Europe, but the GDPR model is pretty much a punitive model. It doesn't tell you how to secure your stuff, but it very clearly says if you screw up, um, I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's something like 6% gross of what a company makes within a year. And I'm, I know I'm getting that percentage wrong. That's a huge motivator. And you look at the number of companies in Europe that started panicking immediately and they wanted pen tests and security assessments because they were more afraid of the fines if they got caught being breached than they were ever. I'd ever seen them for certification, accreditation, and compliance. What do you guys think? Is it better, is it better to come up with punishing laws or is it better to come up with compliance requirements? I would say that it would be better to have a mixture of both. One where if you notify, if you do your breach notification as soon as you know about it, which is arbitrary and contextual, but like if you do it as soon as you know about it, then there is no penalty. Trying to get them to notify as quickly as possible and just getting it out there, like sort of like how CVEs happen, right? They're blank because someone wants to, you know, reserve it for a second, then having penalties go further, the longer that the breach is not sent. Like, I don't know how you could prove that, though, like, because all it would be all internal emails and, and alerts and stuff. So I don't know how to do it. But like, make it so that it hurts more the longer you wait. Or it hurts more the longer you go without knowing, because it can't just be like the waiting, right? Because if you have a company that was compromised for six months, there's a lot of negligence in that particular situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then you get into solar winds. I mean, how the hell are you going to punish FireEye and Microsoft for solar winds being compromised? And then, I mean, it gets dicey quickly. But I do think if we try to get that mean time to mean time for detection, try to get that down as low as we can, I think the industry as a whole would be in a better place. So that's kind of crazy. The other story I wanted to talk about is this article where Dragos basically went out and identified kind of, they said it's a sandworm adjacent group, but it's actually two separate groups that they were able to identify 
that are basically trying to attack critical infrastructure. And the gist of the of the article is Dragos identified that there's two separate groups in the Russians. One group will get initial compromise, and then they'll hand access over to a second group, and then they know what to do once they actually have that access in the environment. And I'm bringing this up for a couple of reasons. One, if you look at the actual attacks that Dragos was actually going through, it was basically the same crap that we see again and again, spear phishing and exploiting patches and services that aren't applied, or sorry, patches that aren't applied and weak services that are misconfigured. So we're seeing that again and again, and it's the same stuff. You know, The other thing that I think is interesting is Dragos came out and they started kind of identifying the subgroup and how they actually hand things over. And then they basically, the, the, the author at Wired, tried to go to other security organizations and say, hey, are you seeing this exact same thing? And basically their answer was no. And I had some people kind of talking to me on back channels. They basically were like, well, this is just kind of Dragos trying to get news stories and get them out there. And, you know, it's more publicity than it is actually anything that's useful. And my first take on that is, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, I still don't understand in this industry, we're talking about how Twitter is sometimes like this dumpster fire. But whenever something like this happens, right, like Dragos comes out, and they got this report on this on this group and what they do and how they do it. And then people are like, ha, it's marketing. It's like, <laughs> congratulations. You literally pointed out the most single obvious thing out there. Now, the question is, does it actually provide value? And I actually do think it provides value, kind of talking about how two separate groups do a handoff, one that's focused on initial compromise into systems, and then another one that actually does the post-exploitation activities as well. But look, is this bad? I mean, just to boil it down to a real simple question for you too, like seriously, Drago's coming out with a report on what they're seeing. It's marketing. Absolutely. You know, Rob Lee and his team are absolutely doing marketing. That's how they get freaking business. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Because I noticed Mandiant gets beat up for it whenever they release their reports. Verizon gets beat up for it whenever they release their reports. You see all these different firms that are constantly talking about, you know, what they're discovering. Hell, BHIS, this is freaking marketing. If you're watching this, congratulations. You got a <laughs> marketing trap. Excellent. Can, can, is it time that we kind of let that crap go and stop trying to point these things out as like blatant marketing attempts? Because there's still value in this, right? Yes. I agree. There's still yeah. value in this particular one or just generally, <laughs> uh, generally marketing? This, this one, this, this, this call right now. Let's talk about this one specifically. I think there's sure. a lot of value in this one. But I might yeah. be biased. What value do you see in this? Just to call you out, what what value is there? So I have a salary. (laughs) One, it's a jobs program for pen testers. That's right. Like more stories go out. I'm 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 not even joking, right? Like uh, Rob is going to get a Christmas card from me because whenever these stories go out, it isn't just marketing for Dragos; it's marketing for the entire industry. And one of the things I think that these stories do, if there's nothing technical that comes out of it that says specifically this is what your organization has to watch for, it keeps the awareness on security. It keeps the awareness on the attack. It keeps the awareness on the same stupid garbage like spear phishing attacks 
that work. One of the stories that I nixed today, they were talking about spear phishing attacks against 10,000 people at DHL and FedEx because they want those sweet, sweet email addresses to do additional attacks from real FedEx emails. I didn't even do that because that's crap. That happens all the time, right? But I think that the first thing that I would say that there's actual value from this is keeping pressure on the news cycle that actually securing the power grid is an important part of what we need to do in security. So that would be the first thing, right? That would be absolutely the first. The other thing is, once again, the exact same type of attacks that we have been seeing. And I know, you know, it's like ransomware. I don't even like talking about ransomware on this show because it was literally turning into the ransomware hour. But what it does is I also think it keeps focus on, no, 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 no. It isn't the exploit du jour that you need to worry about. It's the standard fundamentals that you need to be worrying about as well. So I look at it as two separate things. One, keeping the overall general awareness on security. And then the other thing is keeping awareness on some of these techniques that you would consider to be boring in this industry as a whole. So that's my take. But I, you know, that's my opinion on that. It's nothing quantitative saying, here's a new exploit and this is neat. We don't have any of that here. As an individual contributor, one of the things I always hated being in IT um, in general was my manager seeing a new starter story and going, oh, we got to do this right now. <laughs> and I will I will step back and say, as I've grown older, I've started to understand exactly the value there in exactly what you're talking about. Right. So if if for one instance like if anyone who's listening to this right now happens to be part and parcel of the power grid in any state or country and they see this and be like oh i hadn't thought that it was a target for whatever reason like they might be new they might just be you know or whatever like they might be the first time being in charge of you know people at it right like they might be someone who has just worked the line for 20 years and finally doing the IT side of things, right? Whatever the case, if one person sees this just because we mentioned it on the show and they go, hey, we need to tighten the ship a little bit and brings it up, it's got value, right? And it might not be for you. It might just be something you've heard 500,000 times, but it's going to reach, as long as it gets out there, it's going to reach the right people eventually, hopefully. But I think that that people like us... and people that have been doing this for a long time, right? I think we get jaded. And, and, and I think it becomes too easy whenever these news stories come out. Because you're right. I would say that there's nothing really new in this story, right? There's nothing earth shattering in this story. There's nothing that fundamentally changes the game in this story. And I know I'm going to get people from Dragos like emailing me because like, <laughs> Dragos is <laughs> Dragos is like a cult. People love working there, right? And they're, they, they, you know, I'm going to have the posse after me. But, you know, I think that we get jaded in the industry as a whole where we read something like this and it's like, no, nothing new, nothing new. They use Mimi cats. Is that new? No, that's been used forever. That's not interesting at all. And it's like crash override. We talked about that back in when Kiev and Ukraine. Wait, wait, wait. You could actually use Mimikatz on a OT system. Wait, like I want to know. I want to meet the person who can get that done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you go through this right, and then at the end we get jaded, and it's not. It doesn't feed our need to get new technical tidbits, right? So I, I think that it's easy for us to fall into that kind of trap where we're always looking for that new hotness because it's kind of like that drip. It's like. 
Where's the new technique that we're looking for? Because Mimikat, <laughs> as awesome as it is, it's been around forever. So I always think it's yeah. funny though when you are looking for new techniques or like you are looking for that like the drip you're talking about. A lot yeah. of times I end up finding it in the minute details and not in the whole like you know the big piece, right? I yep. find like the little drip and like oh they did oh like it's like the little pieces of the puzzle that usually do when you're like putting these things together like putting this attack together that I find the most value out of as opposed to just like the the you know the big uh title right you know what exactly yep. they broke into right so it's always the tidbits that get me going right well and, and sometimes the things that aren't said like I remember when Duke came out and Duke was out trying to steal code signing certificates Duku Duku or Duke I've heard it's pronounced uh, Duke. Uh, oh, okay. Interesting. But I always pronounced it Dooku uh, as well, but whatever. Okay. When that came out, like, new every day. you read the entire thing all the way through, and it was really cool. It timed itself out. It went after code signing certificates. And then it like used a Microsoft code signing certificate. And people were like, well, this just shows that they brute forced it. And in my head, I'm like, that's not how that works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not... Math doesn't no, work that way. Any like, of this works. <laughs> yeah. It's not, but it's just like this weird little thing. And then talked about the, the C2 servers were the specific version of Red Hat SSH. And it's like, no, they have a zero day for that version of SSH. Sometimes it's the things they don't say that kind of. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's, that's why I like going to conferences ta- and talks. Because, like, no matter if I know the content or not, like, let's say they're talking about, like, how to dump passwords on Windows. Like, I will go to that talk every single time. Every damn time, right? (laughs) Because there's going to be some little thing that I had no idea about, and I'll wait through a two-hour talk to find that little thing. And it'll happen. Like, like nine times out of ten, there will be some other trick that I had not even heard about. That's that's in the, it's a different a whole different topic, but that that's why I don't really show up in like LobbyCon. I'm always in the talks. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing that's really cool is if you can talk to that presenter after the talk. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that they didn't put in their talk for a variety of reasons. Like you know, they'll pull up their computer, they'll flip it open, and they'll be like. I don't know what the hell this is. I was going to talk about this, but I don't even know what that is. And they get like three, four people around it. And eventually you find like a new vulnerability or a new attack path or something like that. And that's one of the things I miss about SANS is that was always like you have a room of a hundred people and you're presenting on something. You almost always had someone that would pull you up and be like, Hey, come here. Let me show you something. And they're like, here's a VPN zero day. My team found. And you're like, Thank you. It, it, it was just so cool whenever that, whenever that happened. Man, um, other, what, oh, go ahead. Sorry, but what kind of confidence do you have to have to come up to a, <laughs> a trainer? Like, I'm, I'm cool with coming up to a speaker who's there to, like, answer questions and like that stuff. But, like, coming up to a trainer, I, I don't know if I, I would have the confidence to go, hey, uh, you missed something. Or, like, hey, you should do that. Like, that's... I think that people look at me as just a bumbling idiot whenever I'm presenting. So they feel relatively confident coming up to me. They're like, you know, okay. you seem to know what you're doing, but you're not that bright. So let me show you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worked to my advantage for years, right? Nice. Um, you seem very approachable. Yes, very, he seems dumb. That, that gives them the approachability factor that we're looking for. The other thing that I wanted people to kind of take away from this, and they don't talk about it much in this article is you see that the Russians have twice attacked Ukraine in a major way from a power grid perspective. And the thing that I wanted, the other reason why I wanted to talk about this article 
is watch the news for Ukraine. And the reason why is Ukraine is the training ground for what Russia is planning on doing and the type of access that they're trying to get. So if you want to know what are they going to do against the United States, be watching the news for what Russia is doing in Ukraine. And then you're going to be able to get a much better understanding of their techniques because they don't give a rip. They'll like go into Ukraine. They'll kill the power grid in Kiev. They mess with them all the time. It's like their little brother giving them nuggies and all those things. But uh, at the end of the day, that's just what they're what they're trying to do to other Ukraine. Countries. Ukraine is Russia's lab. Yeah, Ukraine is Russian's lab. Um, <laughs> so and, I just watched uh, the uh, HBO documentary that said that it was pretty good because I'd never the seen sandworm? it. Sandworm. The, um, it's called Sandworm, right? The perfect weapon, I believe, is the title. Oh, perfect weapon. So, so, so no, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the um the biggest power grid outage that I've ever seen due to cyber attack was the Brazil one. Like I think that was like ten years ago, right? Yeah. Like where Brazilian hackers attacked the Brazilian power grid and took it down for like weeks. Like the entire all of Brazil was down for weeks. Yeah, and don't, don't so, do power outages all the time anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. I know like over in South America, there's a lot of it's not super reliable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so also god's hack of the oh, Texas yeah. <laughs> was pretty solid last, last week that was like god's watching the russians and he's like <laughs> so russia hey russia jesus is god's my beer. we got this so i i heard a joke yesterday it was uh what's the difference between uh texas uh electric company and a dumpster fire Oh my God! What <laughs> a dumpster fire provides reliable heat and light. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh God! I'm not I sure Texas... I would say that anywhere near Texas. I, I, just... Texas, I want you to understand we're laughing with you and not. Yeah, actually. I actually I more rage is our thing. rage, right? Yes. Your rage yes. is our rage. So. Like I said, not a lot of stories this week, I and mean, I'm sure I could have dug a little bit deeper into finding some new exploit. Oh, you guys were talking. Can I, yeah, yeah, can I go in that last minute the, one? Yeah, do you want to talk about the one we were talking about just before the show? Oh, yeah. I just the posted client, the link. The in. client one. <laughs> yeah, the client one. <laughs> yeah, so it's a unauthorized remote code execution in VMware vCenter. And they said client, right? So I have a bit of experience with VMware and vCenter especially, right? And, no, uh, I know. I love it. Anyways, so if you, <laughs> the the exploit is kind of interesting because the way that it works is that you know vCenter has a web interface and they've depreciated out the vSphere client, so there isn't there's no client. Like, there's no client, right? It's just a HTML5, and in fact, they've been publicly pretty vocal about the fact they're gonna that they're not going to have a client in the future. It'll always be it'll all be web based from this point. And they dumped Flash, which was another thing. Anyways, so the exploit, finally. yeah, right. So the exploit is actually, the first piece of it is that they're using VMware Realize Operations, which is like an operations management for the Realize suite. It's a plugin that's built inside of of vCenter. That plugin, for whatever reason, one of the services on it does not require authentication to interact with that over the web interface, right? So... And the functions inside of that plugin are probably pretty wide, but one of them is the ability to upload a file. Particularly, it's to uploading OVAs, which would be you know an image of a, a virtual machine. So the way the vulnerability pretty much goes down is uh, an unpatched system. You are able to upload a file, so they 
go ahead and upload. What is it? Uh, Java. They end up uploading a, a, a jar file. And yeah. jar files again. Yeah, JSP. Awesome. Excuse me. I mean, um, it's still Java. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so it's a JSP file, and they upload that. And for since it's Java, the gift that gives. It works on both Windows and in Linux, though, arguably speaking, most deployments nowadays <laughs> use the VCSA, which is the VMware uh, server, server appliance, which actually runs in Linux. So most of these will be a Linux attack, but it is a unauthenticated remote code execution, and it's pretty simple. So definitely go out there and patch it. The link I posted. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and, so and, pen test right now. Go, 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 go. That's every pen tester. I, I, now, yeah, have you guys yeah. been on a pen test where you're like, please, God. Could you please give me a new exploit during this? <laughs> I oh, need yeah. to take a local privilege escalation on Windows. And then you go on Reddit and you're, or, or on Twitter or wherever, and you're like, thank you. <laughs> For any time anytime you find vCenter on an engagement and you can get access, that's gold. I mean, that is better yeah. than domain admin. For sure, yeah. without a doubt. Because if you get a high-level user in vCenter, you have... The every. keys to the castle, dude. It is yeah. every virtual machine inside of there. And some of those environments are huge, right? I mean, you yeah. have access to machines. They they might not even be on the internet. They might not be on a network, right? Like, they're just isolated. But because you have vCenter access, you now access to that system, right? So I was on a test where they had... Uh, we got vCenter access, and they had this, like, list of appliances they were doing, like, a, um, a bake-off with. And they were all defaultly configured. But they were all joined to the domain and all this stuff like on their network. I just opened up the console on each one and, and like all the domain admins were logged into all of them because they were trying them out. They're trusting them out. And yeah, it was great. But I'll do you one better. I was on a pen test when MS14068 came out. <laughs> the day? Like the, the day? The, the week that it came out. And... And no one that I could talk to, and I, I like I talked to as many people that had researched that as I could, would give me a POC or even talk to me about how a POC worked. So it uh, came out. It was it's it's for those who don't know, fourteen oh sixty eight was standard user in a domain to domain admin by asking for a Kerberos ticket. Like it was that simple. No one I talked to, I'm like, hey, I'm on the test right now. Can I try the POC? Do you, I know you have a POC. Can I try it today? Like, it's I just need peril. it today. I you don't want the peril. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I will give you my firstborn, like, whatever I, I need to get. <laughs> and everyone's like, nope, 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 nope. It's all under NDA. We're, we're trying to get this thing patched as soon as possible and oh stuff. Like it, like, it was, it was like all hands on deck when this came out right like yeah everyone was like we need to patch our domain controllers today microsoft was today and yeah. like it was I, it was actually, bad i have one no. where uh, what was the other vulnerability that came out recently the same thing <laughs> what was the name of that one i can't remember it, it's it, it's it's a, it's the same process right you could change right the system account on a domain controller unauthenticated oh zero logon yeah, zero logon. So zero logon had come out. I'm on an engagement and the proof of concept literally that day had been released and I'm on and like I'm looking for access. And I I did like a whole day of research testing it. You know, cuz everyone was like, you know, on Twitter's like, "Oh, don't do this." Like, you can Yeah, cuz it'll break, break a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, break a lot of stuff, right? So I tested out the whole day, ended up running it 
immediate full access and then continued on in the engagement. So Ooh, you have bigger cojones than I do. Like I yeah. like that exploit is just yeah, let's be honest. If we news. would do that, we would talk to the customer and be like, yo, uh, can I try this? And I love the yeah. customer. They're like, yeah. Yeah, no, customer customer was, customer was on board. Yeah, they were on board. Ooh. I tested it out. They Spin did up. not know that I did it. Because this was, uh, you know, essentially a red team, so their security team had no idea that I had executed this. Even though on Twitter I saw so many people say you will destroy the domain, there are some caveats, but you can execute it, right? So <laughs> See, that's where I'm, dear customer, this is the enter key. <laughs> to press it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it was pretty much a zero, like an immediate domain admin, right? Immediate day. Immediate yep. day. Immediate so, day. Fun one stuff. of these days, yeah. we should put together. Um, I was talking with a reporter, and we, we were talking about something and led into she was looking for one thing, and I was like, holy crap, this could be something else. She wanted to do an article on forever days because she's like, it seems like a lot of people in the industry have these zero days that just don't ever seem to get patched and they just keep using them. And I wanted to talk about, you know, like link local multicast name resolution and group policy preference files. Like there's like even the Java applet attack. Like there were these attacks that we used in the industry Forever. for like five, seven years before they were ever taken care of and kind of talk about those types of vulnerabilities, not just like something that drops. But like the thing that you get in and test, like curb roasting would be a forever day, right? Yeah. As soon as you get in, you're like, shit, that worked again. <sighs> it, <laughs> it's just, it's nothing new, right? It's so just what is it. your, what is your current favorite forever day? The one that I'm really, really, really excited about is the OAuth attacks. And, uh, and, there, yeah, those were good. and there's some issues around that. Like you have to actually now for Microsoft or Google, you have to register as a company and you have to kind of prove that you're legit. But damn, we're right back to one-click compromise, right? So if you go through that effort, if for people that don't know, if you have a um, if you have a website like let's say dr- like Dropbox or go to Webinar or DocuSign, they always have these little buttons that say "Sign in with Google," "Sign in with your Office 365 account," and you can literally create a company, create a page. And as soon as you click on that, it pops up and it says, hey, this particular app needs to have access to your email, needs to have access to your chat and your files. You're like, okay, whatevs. And it totally gives you, gives you the attacker, the, 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 um, the access to their email, to their files and to everything. And we're right back to one-click compromise. So that is something MDSEC has some great tools that they've released on it. We're going to be releasing another tool on it here shortly. But I think that that's a forever day. I think that that's going to be one of those zero days because it's not something that you just go through and patch to fix how OAuth works. You're not going to see Microsoft and Google say, well, maybe us being the single sign-on authority for all these services is a bad idea. We're going to roll that crap back. That's not happening. So I think that one's going to stick with us for a good long time. So that's that's mine. Ralph, yours? Oh, password spraying. It's been like the thing for a while. 20 it's, years now. I do I mean, it, I don't. I don't know. It just feels like it never dies, right? And it still works. It's still usually part of the chain in some way. It usually gets you going. I mean, you know, there's other ones too, and it really depends on where you're at in this compromise, right? You post, or you, you know, 
uh, pre-exploit, like where are you at? But that one has done so much for me in all different levels, right? So, you know, and that initial access, that initial account is really all you need to really make it happen. So, yeah. And it's just fun. Rob, yours. Windows deployment services. Any, uh, <laughs> WDS is my go-to. I love it. Like all you do is say, hey, WDS, give me all your configs for deploying Windows boxes. And it says, sure, no problem. And you just get creds. And it says, okay, here's your creds. And like, here's how it joins a new computer to a domain. And so many times that's, you know, elevated or at least high, you know, a high level of privilege user. And you automatically get a user on the domain like and those those services have to be unauthenticated like they literally have to be so that a new computer without authentication can go give me give me how i can set myself up so it has to be that way and so when you get the credentials you have log on credentials for the domain and you're there like like wds it's very little talked about anywhere like there's there's a metasploit module from i think 2015 and there's a root 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 dog or root root dance blog post about it, and that's it. No one else talks about it. I think Dave Kennedy talked about it one time at at DefCon, and like no one else talks about WDS anymore. I love it. I, so, I could have sworn you were going to say SolarWinds. <laughs> uh, so that's the that's the gift that keeps on giving. That's not my favorite. That's not my ever forever day. Forever day. So, okay, gotcha. So, so if the other one, if I want to, oh, go ahead. So I was going to say, this kind of goes into another thing, like obscure days, right? So that's one that you're like, why aren't more people doing this? The other one that I just am blown away that I don't see more people talking about is the feature in Mail Sniper that once you get get access to a system and you can get access to their, their exchange environment, you can use Mail Sniper and you can search through the entire global address list and say, hey... Are there, is there anybody here that's sharing their entire email account out with everybody? And then you can access all of their emails. Like, I don't <laughs> see why we don't, you know, people do oh, that yeah. one more. Too. Oh, that one brings up another good point, which uh, has come up <laughs> recently, is uh, for uh, this one, I feel like will be a forever day, app passwords, right? There's a new backdoor, yeah. right, inside of, our, inside of uh, cloud applications. So you get access to them and you know that you're, ta- you're on a time limit because of maybe losing access. You add an app password and you can get access to those things, including what you just talked about, which was EWS, which is considered a depreciated service. But you can use an app password and bypass the two-factor involved in that. So that's another fun one, too, especially with cloud. And I think um, CredSniper did that with Google. So once it gained access, it immediately created a rule to filter out any security emails. Like, hey, this new device just logged in. That's gone. There's a rule that blows that away. <laughs> and then it creates that app password automatically for you. So, Oh, yeah. But no, this is another show. I think it's yeah, time. it is. <laughs> Mike is calling me, and uh, we got to get going. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Ralph, Rob, Ryan. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.